Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Good evening, everyone. Esme Murphy back on a Saturday night. There have not been many Saturday nights here. Uh, and I think the last one was in January, I believe. And because sometimes we do a little cut in here and I didn't do the cut in because I was going to get bumped the next Sunday for I think it was the Miracle Catch game. Yes, that was uh, the divisional for, playoff. Yes, yeah, um, yes. because uh, on ten thirty, uh, when the Vikings were still in it, I was getting bumped, and when the Super Bowl, I got bumped, and um, over at TV, I mean. But uh, so it hasn't been a lot of Saturday evenings, but uh, it's great to be back, and uh, great to be back to chatting with Eric Nelson on the way out. You know, seeing you. Uh, I was here yesterday filling in for John Hines, so that was a lot of fun. I uh, did a show with Dan Cook and kind of got to see everybody again. But I just feel, you know, I, I actually yesterday I tried to get into the building and my fob wouldn't work. And I thought, okay, maybe they've just forgotten me. <laughs> but um, that's not the best feeling in the world. No, it's not. But, you know, you know something you never, ever know, do you? But um, it is great to be back. Um, and then also now and it was so weird, too, for that run, that Vikings run. With the playoffs, CBS had a lot of the games, so for that 10.30 show that I do on, on uh, TV side, I was getting bumped a lot by Rosen and, and Mike Max for Vikings pregame. I'm not, I'm not protesting that at all. They do a great job. They're awesome. But it was just uh, one of those things where I was just kind of out of my groove. And so now I'm back here. I'm going to talk to Dave Schultz at 8 o'clock. Got all kinds of things lined up for you. We're going to talk about uh, sex trafficking this hour, we're also going to talk about uh, community health centers. I, and I think, I did this story on the TV side, they serve 180,000 people in the state of Minnesota on a sliding scale. And it's not just the inner city folks. It's many of you who are out there in, in you know, rural and outstate Minnesota. These community health centers sometimes are the only game in town. And their funding was really in limbo. I think it came through, but it's not a done deal we're going to talk about these centers and the kind of health care they provide because we've got to have some kind of stopgap for people and people especially uh, in, in places where it takes longer to get places. And, and if you're living in a very small town or on a farm, you've got to have some kind of health care facility near you that you can go to and count on. So uh, very interesting stuff there. So we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, it is great to be back. Oh, and then also on TV, the TV side, I am definitely back on TV, 6 a.m., 1030 a.m., uh, with my friend Micah Gustinek, and we are going to have a, a very good show, 6 a.m., also 10.30 a.m. Uh, the chair of the Republican Party, Jennifer Carnahan, is going to join me on the TV side at 10.30 a.m. tomorrow. A lot going on in politics, and I'm going to talk about that with Professor David Schultz. Uh, chair Carnahan has had two really sweet little boosts this week, and I, actually I should say major boosts. One, the announcement by Governor Tim Pawlenty that he is going to be stepping down from his lobbying job and coming back to Minnesota this coming week 
to begin talking about running for governor. And Tim Pawlenty uh, is the last person in the state of Minnesota, and this is really hard to believe, the last Republican in the state of Minnesota to win a statewide office. And that was in 2006. One of my kids is calling me, people. I'll turn it off. Should I answer it on the air? Power of live radio, Power folks. of live radio. You know something? Ain't nothing like it. You know, I don't know if you have, for any of you who have teenagers out there, I apologize I didn't turn off my phone. You know, it's, at times they can appear to be really young adults, which is technically what they are. And then at times you feel as if you've gone back to that pre-toddler stage it is the weirdest divide. And for those of you in the toddler stage out there who have you know, other kids or grandchildren or nieces and nephews, that, that's hard. That's nonstop. But it's flashes of that. It's the weirdest thing. It is simply the weirdest thing. And when does that gap close? I don't know. You know, something – maybe I'll fire up the old text line and you can text me. But when does the gap close? I, I have a very strong and, – and they know – they know where I am. At least I told them where I was. I told them I was coming to CCO Radio. <laughs> I haven't been on for a few weeks, but hey, I'm here. People, I'm here. You know, um, our oven is a little hot, kids. Remember, you know, the chicken pot pie. If you're going to do that, turn it 50 degrees less than it would on the directions. Maybe check it three quarters of the amount of time. What can I say? At some point, at some point, they're going to have to make it, I hope. But um, anyway, I digress. But I was talking about politics in Minnesota and the fact that Tim Pawlenty hadn't run for office in, since 2006 in Minnesota. Obviously, he made the presidential bids. But, you know, I thought about that. You know, 2006, what, what was going on in 2006? Well, Barack who? I mean, I'm serious. I think if you took a poll of who the hell was, who the heck was Barack Obama, most people wouldn't have known in 2006. Um, the recession hadn't happened in 2006. The use of social media, it was there. It existed. But it hasn't come to dominate. You know, it, it didn't dominate the way it did before. I was going to say that Facebook was around. MySpace was still viable at that point. Uh, as as a big social media, Twitter wasn't around yet. Instagram wasn't around yet. Snapchat wasn't around yet. Yeah, and it's still. I mean, you know, obviously, it, it just it just it it's been um, a long time, and certainly the recession. It, it seems like it's been, and so he left office in, in 2010. I mean, he's still in in terms of political years. He's still a relatively young man, but I, I think it's going to be interesting to see. You know, I'm going to ask her about. Tim Pawlenty, what, he, what she thinks about that. Also, the stunning news, I was actually here on uh, CCO Radio filling in for the one and only John Hines and Dan Cook, who's the producer, said, hey, Esme, we got some breaking news. Um, Congressman Nolan is not running for re-election. And that was a shock because I subscribe, obviously I get all the press releases, but I subscribe to all of the, I get all the campaign notices, so I get all the appeals for money, I get all the appeals to go caucus. And Congressman Nolan was sending out appeals to go caucus on Tuesday morning. 
So, you know, I think obviously um, he made a, a very quick and sudden and abrupt decision that caught a lot of people off guard. So I'm going to talk to her about that. Interesting point, though, in those caucuses, actually, the Republicans actually had a downturn in attendance when you compare it to the comparable a non-presidential election year compared to the Democrats who were up. So I'll ask her about that. And then also um, one of the guests that I have, the second guest coming on at 1030 a.m., and this guy's really good. He's very entertaining and he's very knowledgeable. His name is Pete Najarian. And he and his brother uh, are on CNBC's, you know, some of their money shows every single day. Uh, he's sort of a Wall Street guru, investment guru, tracks the markets, Obviously, the volatility here is something that, that we're, a lot of people are dealing with. If you don't have a lot of money in the stock market, maybe you've got a 401k. Maybe you're lucky enough to still have a pension or maybe a relative does. But it's something that, that is obviously occurring very, very quickly. And Pete Najarian is somebody who um, is extremely knowledgeable. So he'll be a live guest as well. And he's actually going to stick around and do a Facebook Live with me at 11 a.m. So it'll be fun to kind of get back into the swing of things Uh you know, just a, my regular old gig here and not have to run up to the roof to go ice fishing or – although that was fun. But uh, it, it – um, and, and it's nice to be able to come downtown and get a parking spot <laughs> and not – I mean, that was exciting. It was really cool to have the Super Bowl here. It was neat to have all of the attention and – but I think we're all kind of ready to move on. All right, folks. Um, so we, we do have to take a break here in just a second. But I um, uh, want to let you know that the next guest coming up is Scott Moore, and he's part of the organizing team for Justice Awakening. And he was talking about organizing in terms of uh, preventing sex trafficking. There were arrests here, uh, arrests not as many as predicted, but a number of them were for sex-related crimes, prostitution. So we're going to ask him about that. And then we're going to talk about uh, community health centers in our next half hour. So keep it here. Esme Murphy, Jonathan Lowe, you're listening to News Radio 830 WCCO. Esme Murphy here, uh, 619, 10 degrees in the Twin Cities. Uh, we were mentioning the Super Bowl, which is, it's still a little jarring because it was so, the buildup was so intense. And the road closures in downtown Minneapolis, were obviously we're in downtown Minneapolis, were so, uh, you know, prominent, you know, leading up to the big game, as they call it. And now it's all open again. But there was so much that went into it. And we're going to talk actually with Maureen Bausch uh, coming up in the 7 o'clock hour. She's the CEO of the Minnesota Super Bowl Host Committee. And they did an amazing job. I mean, they, I think they just did a knockout job. But one of the things that people were really planning for was the concern about sex trafficking and, and making sure that there was not a wave of younger people or young women being exploited or brought in here because of the Super Bowl. And one of the people that was involved with that uh, is Scott Moore, and he was part of the organizing team for Justice Awakening 52, and he is joining us now. Scott, how are you doing? And thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. I'm doing well. How okay. are you, Esme? Fine, thanks. Listen, why don't you tell me about Justice 52 and um, what uh, what role Justice 52 played in terms of uh, you know this whole issue, how you came together, sort of the origins of it. Yeah, uh, Justice Awakening 52 is just essentially an event or a rally that uh, came together through a bunch of different organizations. Action 169 uh, was one of the big ones that spearheaded it. Uh, Beautiful and Love, the local organization here as well, 
helped out uh, my organization, Empowering Ranch, helped out organize it, and some others as well. And basically, it was just to call people to action, to unify, inform them, equip them, and send them out. So that's uh, how that whole thing came together. Okay. And so tell us about what, what you do and how you kind of group together with other groups to do this. So we came together uh, to just do uh, some things as far as outreach. And I'll just give you some of the things that we did when we came together. Uh, 210 online interventions to reach women were done uh, who were being exploited. They got online, uh, contacted them through Backpage or whatever other website they might have been listed on and connected with them. That so you actually you actually reached out to, to the you, – you actually went to the ads on Backpage. Yep, yep. Okay. And, and let me let me uh, just – you know, I, I just want to make sure that everybody – and I didn't mean to cut you off there, but I want to make sure everybody knows what Backpage yeah. is. I, I think most people have heard of – of You know, I, I think I – think, <laughs> You know, most people, if, if they're going to use an online service, I think most people use Craigslist. And and I think most people have heard that, you know, Craigslist is fabulous. I mean, we've gotten, um, you know, different things. My husband got a great handicap van for his, you know, my, his father on Craigslist. It's a wonderful yeah. resource. And, and yes, but there are some things you got to be careful of. You know, I think police will generally advise you if you're going to buy something off of Craigslist or any of these other sites, you know, meet in a, you know, Starbucks or a caribou and, and just, you know, just use common sense. Backpage has become notorious and, and they have run into some serious legal trouble with these ads for essentially prostitution. And uh, uh-huh. th- there have been a number of cases here. Uh, I've talked to, to police officers at the Minneapolis Police Department who said it's, it's a major problem. There have been efforts in Congress to crack down. So you actually, you, sir, actually went to back and it's backpage.com and you actually went to the ads themselves and and what kinds of things did you find just to explain to people yeah so you know a lot of these ads are being posted by uh the pimps uh they'll put the ads up there and they'll put pictures and descriptions so a lot of times men are looking for something in particular so they'll put an ad up there uh, where people can essentially go online and choose from. And we will go to those ads and contact people, text them, and uh, reach out to them and give them, let tell them something non-threatening, like if you know anyone who's in danger or know anyone who is looking for help transitioning out of this lifestyle, uh, here's a phone number you can call, some information, try to help build a bridge for them to give them some options. Okay, so so you're basically calling, it's just saying who you are, and just saying, "Hey, we saw the ad. We're calling, but yep. if if you're in trouble or you need some help or you need options, we're here." Exactly. Okay. Well, and what was the response? Yep. You know, it's uh, some people will just cut you off and um, not interested. Some people are surprised. Some people will go through, I don't know if I trust this person or not that's contacting me. Uh, But that's one thing that's helpful with being consistent with the outreach is that if you contact someone more than once, they'll realize, oh, these people are here to stay. They're around. They're available. Same thing. So, yeah, you get get the gamut uh, from shutting you down to, yes, please send me some information about resources for how to get out. Um, And... So, so you did this, and some people were receptive. I, I bet some some people probably thought you were the police. 
they probably were going through some of those thoughts in their head. Yes, absolutely. All right. And um, so did you did you get some people to respond? So some people just said, oh, forget it. You know, I'm not interested. And then did some people actually come back to you and, and respond? There were people who responded. I don't have uh, some of that info right now. I wasn't a part of that particular outreach, but the organization did that outreach. So I don't have as many details on that one. Okay. And so what did you do with the people you were able to reach? They were given information and services and trusted contacts of places that they could begin to transition. Okay. And um, any, you know, can you give us a little bit more information about what, how that worked? Because overall, while there were arrests for prostitution and, and solicitation, the numbers were not as high as they thought they were going to be. Yeah. Yeah, I was kind of surprised by the numbers as well. Well, I think I think I mean I think perhaps organizations like yours and and the efforts here may deserve some of the credit. And even raising all the awareness that was raised around it, I'm sure it had to put uh, that industry a little bit on its heels. Of man, there's a whole bunch because there were just tons of organizations that were trying to address this issue during the Super Bowl. Okay. And so what other things were you involved in, in terms of, you know, that you felt went, went well here? Yeah, we, uh, we did gifts. Uh, 80 gifts were uh, passed out uh, on strip club outreaches where uh, survivors and ladies would go to the strip clubs and connect with uh, uh, strippers there and, uh, give them gifts and begin to build that bridge and also given, you know, same type of thing, contact information for if they ever, if they know someone who's in danger or know someone who wants to transition out, they now have contact information for someone available. Okay. So that was another thing that we did. Um, another, th- an outreach that I was involved with was with a group called 27 million and they have a virtual reality outreach, which is pretty cool where, we went down around the Nicollet Mall area and we stood around there in the skyways because it was too cold to be outside. And uh, we just had a bunch of sets of virtual reality goggles and we would just say, hey, you want to try virtual reality to anyone walking by? And, you know, some people just like, nope, don't have time. Other people like, sure. Some people wouldn't even ask what what they were going to see, but what, essentially what they were going to see or have the option of is to choose between seven women women's stories in their stories of uh, real life survivors who had been exploited, including trafficking. And, and it would essentially tell a two minute story of how they got in, how they got out, what happened to them while they were in there. And then it would give an appeal at the end of, are you someone who would be willing to educate me? Or are you someone to be willing to give me a job? Are you someone to help me right. try to find some housing? And, and then we'd give them a little, a card, uh, you know, and it was really cool. to raise awareness for people. Uh, give them a card uh, with a phone number on it if they saw any suspicious activity of any trafficking activity. So that was a that was the outreach I was involved in, which was pretty cool. Right. Well, I, I you know, I and I, I mean, I haven't seen any analysis of it, but uh, and maybe I will ask um, to a certain extent. You know, my guest in the seven o'clock hour, uh, Maureen Bausch, is the person who headed up the whole Super Bowl host committee, and I think they really did a fa- right. fabulous job. And I also, did you have any contact with them as well? 
No, I didn't. Okay, because I know they were involved in this, and they were involved in getting young people involved. And I, I just think that kind of aspect, the number of arrests in downtown Minneapolis were, was lower than the same period of time last year when there obviously wasn't a Super Bowl and there were, you know, mm. a million fewer people out and about. So I, I really think that the, that aspect of it is is really amazing. And, and I think that the awareness level is great. And I think, you know, going directly to Backpage and going directly to individuals is, is really, really wonderful. Do you have any estimate to how many people you were able to actually kind of get in contact with or directly? Uh, yeah, 210 on uh, That's awesome. Places like it. Yeah. So that is yeah. really, really amazing. I mean, that is really something that that, that is uh, – uh, an extraordinary thing to actually have that one-on-one contact because I think you can put out, I guess, stories and you know posters, but that one-on-one contact I think must have a significant impact. Yeah, because every every relationship um, those folks have in their life, for the most part, is transactional, and for someone to come along and say, essentially, I don't want anything from you. I'm just offering you something. I'm not here to take from you, which is normally what they would experience. I'm here to give something and offer something. That is just really great and and really inspiring. Um, Scott Morin, um, part of the organizing team for Justice Awakening uh, 52. Uh, it sounds like you guys really did, and so many other people, because there were so many people involved in this effort yeah. uh, at, at so many levels and I, I really think it's it's so admirable uh, what you were able to accomplish. I really appreciate it, and I appreciate your time this evening. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, and you are also with the um, Redeeming Love Church in Maplewood. Yeah, that's where the event was held. Yep. Okay. All right. Well, thank you, sir. Really appreciate it. Hey, you're welcome, Esme. Have a great night. That is very, very cool. All right, folks. It's nice to, um, you know, it's really nice to hear when efforts and coordinated efforts really go well. And as I said, um, the lady who's going to be the 7 o'clock guest, she's – I really think that the whole committee just did an amazing job. Um, I really, really do. And I think that those arrest figures, the um, the way the whole thing went, um, how they dealt with the extreme cold. I know that they were hoping it wasn't going to be quite that cold, but <laughs> it was. And it's still that cold. Um, but I do think uh, that is pretty neat stuff. Uh, all right, folks, uh, we are going to take a break, and we've got um, some uh, weather coming up, and you'll want to hear that because it's good news. Okay. All right, folks, you're listening to News Radio 830 WCCO. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. It It is 636 in the Twin Cities. As my Murphy with you. Until 9 o'clock. Great to be with you. Well, this week I did a story on the community health care centers that serve 180,000 Minnesotans, and their funding has been in jeopardy now for quite some time. Uh, There's been a concern about this cliff that they were going off and whether the funding would be extended. If it's not extended, these centers will have to close down. Uh, I believe that there are, I think, 70 of them, and my next guest will be able to uh, verify that, uh, not just in the metro area, not just in urban areas, but all across the state of Minnesota. And for some people, this is it. This is, and they provide uh, service on a sliding fee scale. Most of their 
clients are low income, but not all of them, not all of them. And so I just wanted to um, sort of get an update because there was some sort of conflicting news about a Senate bill that might have some uh, funding in it, but then it's got to go through the House again. This president has got to sign it. And James Platten is the CEO of Open Cities Health Center, and he was in Washington earlier this week. I met with him. Uh, what day was that? Monday? or I guess it was Wednesday, James. Uh, but anyway, welcome to the show. And great to have you on. And how is it looking for your funding? Well, as me, um, when we met on Wednesday, things were really in a lot of flux. We had no idea. We, we heard different stories about legislation that had come out of the House, gone over to the Senate, and then there was a lot of things going on within the Senate. But what ended up happening is late Thursday night, <clears throat> I'm sorry, Wednesday night, uh, the Senate um, at about 12.01, as we know, Thursday, they ended up shutting down uh, because the funding had not been resolved. They had not passed a continuing resolution. And so the government did indeed shut down for about eight hours on Thursday night going into Friday morning. Then they re- reconvened at about 12.01, and the Senate passed a bill with our, leg- with our funding in it. It went back to the House, and the House passed it at about 4.30 in the morning, and then at about 7.30, 8 o'clock in the morning, uh, President Trump signed the continuing resolution. So, uh, in essence, at about 8 o'clock uh, on Friday morning, our funding was resolved. Our funding situation had been resolved. So it, it's uh, it's definitely... A done deal, as far as you're concerned. For right now, yes. That's been sort of the problem. <clears throat> that's been the ongoing issue for us, and absolutely, that's a big part of it. I think, first of all, before we go too far forward, I just, I just have to say that um, I think in Minnesota, we've been very lucky to have you know great representatives in both the House and the Senate there. Our Minnesota delegation and their Washington staff and their Minnesota staff uh, were phenomenal for us to work with, and they really understood our concerns and our issues, and we can talk more about that. But both on the Senate side and on the House side, we had phenomenal collaboration. Uh, The Republicans and the Democrats really understood this issue, and had this issue been a single issue going through by itself, it would have gone right through. Unfortunately, there's, as we know, politics doesn't work that way, and there was a lot of complexity involved in this whole thing, and it really did become something else. We are kind of caught in a two-year funding cycle, and so every two years this circles back, and our hope is that in 2019 we can get out in front of this and we can start to work towards a longer funding cycle that will help us out so that we can continue to do the good work we're doing. Right. Well, I, I, and I think I think that there, there's a larger issue here because obviously anybody who's been following the situation in Washington knows that these continuing resolutions and, and the threat of the government shutting down is, is almost a biweekly event these days. Correct. And Absolutely. so it's it's you know something that I think a lot of Taxpayers, no matter where you are in the political spectrum, I think a lot of people are are feeling very frustrated about that and don't like it. So, I, and I think I think that may have been part of that Senate compromise that came out this week, where the senators said, you know, and the president was saying he to force his side of things. He said that he was willing to see the government shut down. Senators on both sides of the aisle said, "No, we, we're we're going to have to come together with something because the American people, I think, are expressing and voicing their concerns about it." Can you just tell us uh, about the community health centers? Because I think the perception and how how many how many 
points of delivery are there for community health centers? I know that you've got the ones in St. Paul, but... Across the country, there are over 1,400. And and in the state of Minnesota, we have have 17 federally qualified health centers with about 70 to 75 access points across the state. We have, they are in rural Minnesota, up in the northern part of the state, down in the southern part of the state. We have uh, programs that deal, deal with and take care of migrant workers. We have programs in the inner cities that um, uh, take care, you know, address some of the many issues in the inner city of Minneapolis and St. Paul. We're in Mankato, we're in Duluth, we're across the state. And across the state of Minnesota, um, we provide care for approximately 180,000 people. Across the country, um, the federally qualified or the community health centers take care of over 27 million patients, uh, including, you know, over 330,000 veterans, 1.3 million homeless patients, um, 8 million are children, and 92% of our patient population is low income. Uh, but in, and those numbers are pretty similar to the numbers here in Minnesota as well. So right. we are a very wide network of care uh, and care system, and we provide you know really the continuum of care. And we are, as we like to consider ourselves, the largest primary care network in the country because right. we really do work collaboratively. Right, and and you've got you know the mental health care, you've got the yep. dental care, you've got. Vision, you've got all, all kinds of care for, for every age, right. you know, from children, you know, to senior citizens. But it's also, it's not just the inner city. I mean, you've got right. clinics in outstate Minnesota where yep. you're serving everybody because, and we've talked about that on this show and, and other shows, and also on the TV side, you know, folks right. in, in greater Minnesota, many of them, it, access to health care is an issue. Absolutely. And, and, you know, that's another part of this overall um, program that we are that was funded this week is the you know the uh, the continuation of student loan repayment programs for some of our health care providers to go into these underserved areas and you know get some you know get some assistance in the in the job you know uh, the student loan repayment programs and so forth so there are some opportunities there you go up into northern Minnesota and uh, one of our colleagues has a service area that's incredibly large and his is the only program in that entire area, and he's the only point of care for within in that entire service area. He has multiple locations, but they, that system is the only real care provider in the entire area. All right, and some and while while you you said that that the you know the vast majority of your uh, the people who seek treatment at your facilities are low income. Not everyone is correct. Okay, and you know, I mean, we have we have medical, we have dental, we have optical, we have behavioral health, we have many services in our in our locations, and those services are made available. And our we do offer what's called a sliding fee scale based on ability to pay. And you know, a significant number of our people are on Medicaid. A significant number, of, you know, one in three of our patients are below the federal poverty level, and one in five of our patients are uninsured. So that that is a significant amount Absolutely. as well. Um, so, in terms of, of what this compromise that was reached, you think that for now you've got it in place. I mean, is there anything that could upset the apple cart? I mean, the president—it's in his budget. I mean, is, is the president completely signed off on this because he's going to have to sign this bill? He did sign it on Friday morning. Okay. You know, so we do have this piece done. 
the next the next piece of work will be to start working for 2019 uh, to begin the conversations now early so that we can get out in front of this to address the funding because this is only a two year funding cycle so we are only funded through fiscal year 2019 which ends on September 30 2019 so on October 1st 2019 we could be in the exact same spot again. Um, and that that's the whole problem here. We have got to get beyond this so that we can start doing some of the work that we're doing. One of the things that, and you know, and you and I have talked about this, one of the things that community health centers have done is really drive the total cost of care down for the healthcare delivery system. We keep people out of the emergency rooms. We keep them from being readmitted to the hospital. And that's the issue that is so missed by so many people because we take care of these people provide them with the the critical care that they need in an ambulatory care situation as opposed to them going to the emergency room and driving the total cost of care way up. And right. this is just a much better way for it to be managed. Dental care, another major issue. If, if you have a toothache, you can only imagine how bad it is. And if you have no access to dental care, you can only imagine what your life is going to be like. And those are the kinds of situations we're dealing with every day. Right. And and, and I must say, and I've, I've mentioned this on, on a couple of other programs because of a couple of uh, bumps and bruises uh, over at our house, I've actually ended up in the emergency room uh, with family members twice in the last uh, month. Everybody's mm-hmm. okay. We're all going to make it. But I have to tell you, the emergency rooms are are packed to the gills right now. I mean, it Absolutely. is it is a very – if you can stay out of the emergency room, you want to stay out of the emergency room. And I cannot Absolutely. imagine an additional load on those people because with the flu and then, yep. of course, with some of our weather conditions, but especially with the flu, it has been very rough and, and extremely crowded. And they really are bursting at the seams, as are emergency rooms across the country. But, you know, the point you're making is is that – You've got 180,000 people who have a place to go to get health care. If they didn't have that, they'd put it all off. And if they got really sick, that's where they would go, clogging up the system for everybody else. And if there's no and if there's no point of access to even ask simple medical questions, you know, what do I do about this? What? Why am I getting this rash? And simple day-to-day healthcare questions suddenly end up in the emergency room, which is the last place that they end up should end up. But that's where they do end up because they have nowhere else to go. And if we didn't have that access that we now have again, uh, because we have been able to restore our funding. Um, and we're able to take care of people on a sliding fee scale. We're able to help these people out with the care that they need. Those populations are going to grow. Our, our populations are going to grow. Where we're going to see more and more poverty. We're going to see more and more difficult times. Our, our senior population is going to grow. We're going to, we are still dealing with major issues around the opioid crisis in our society, in our country. And we've got to come up with innovative ways to deal with those kinds of issues. What are we going to do about managing diabetes? Those those kinds of day-to-day things that people just don't know how to manage. And so this has been an enormous load lifted off of us. But at the same time, it, the responsibility is even heavier now for us to make sure that we continue to be innovative, continue to be creative, and continue to look forward. Because in the next, and you know, and I'm speaking now on behalf of the 17 FQHCs in the state of Minnesota. And that fact that all of us work very collaboratively and we are members of an accountable of accountable care organizations and we work to find ways to drive the total cost of care down. Right. Let me ask you, there are, pre- there are people sure. probably who might be listening to this thinking, you know, gosh, maybe 
I, you know, I, I'm having trouble finding health care. Um, mm-hmm. Are they who could who is eligible to come to one of your centers? Anybody can, Esme. Um, you know, it really, there's no criteria for anybody to not get care at a federally qualified health center. We just happen to have some additional funding streams that other other agencies may not have. But there are people with health insurance. There are people that are fully employed. There are people that have been getting their care in our in our buildings for years and years and years. Uh, the organization I'm with, Open Cities, has been around 51 years. There are a number of organizations that have been around for a long, long time. And when you go up into some of those same organizations we talked about up in remote Minnesota, um, you, you know that those organizations take care of people from the entire community, and a lot of them work. So right. it doesn't matter what, what the situation is. Um, if you want to get a care... And we, you know, we talk a lot about the healthcare home, Esme, and when you can get your dental care and your optical care and your medical care all in the same building. That's nice. That's that's fantastic. I mean, it's one spot. Right. And that's that's what we offer. Okay. How how can people find you? Um, Because you you are, as I said, you know, kind of not not just in in the Twin Cities, but you are in other places around the state. Well, there are two. There, there's a really easy way to do it, and that's there's a uh, association we have here in Minnesota called the Minnesota Association of Community Health Centers, um, and I can send you the link, and you can put it somewhere on your on your website. But it's MINAC M N A C H C, or the Minnesota Association of Community Health Centers, or you can feel free to contact me at Open Cities Health Center in St. Paul, and I'd be happy to help people connect. Um, and, you know, feel free to, uh, put my information wherever and, uh, I'm more than happy to help people out. Well, you're not uh, open cities, healthcare folks, you know, it, it's not, you can give them a call and, and you've got, how many centers do you have in St. Paul? We have two, two. in St. Paul right. open cities. We them. also have, uh, two other FQHCs in St. Paul. We have United Family Medicine and also Westside and in Minneapolis, there are, um, eight more. Okay. So you're set now for funding through the fall of 2019. Uh, let me ask you, though, because I, I know that, that people, you know, in every field, whether it's, you know, television news or television mm-hmm. management or, or you know, yep. people who are in, in the restaurant business, you, you're always planning ahead. I mean, you're always looking at, you know, there, there are innovations coming both mm-hmm. in, in the way you do business or you manage the business or you manage the clinics. It's got to be difficult when you've got these spending deadlines or, or these cliffs coming up, even if Absolutely. it's 18 months, I mean, you've got a little breathing room, but how difficult is it, you know, having that and having to deal with that? I mean, how can you plan? Well, I'll give you the, the simple example of just trying to figure out how to do a budget for 2018 when we didn't know what our funding would look like after March 31st. So, you know, how do you do a budget for 12 months when you're not sure what your funding is going to look like on month number four? Um, I think strategic planning, I think long-range planning, those kinds of things will be a little bit easier for the next 18 months, but we still need to get out beyond this. And it's interesting because when we talked to our Minnesota delegation, and when we talk to our colleagues across the country, we know that that is a common theme. And our Minnesota uh, legislators, both in the House and in the Senate, are fully aware of the fact that they want to help us be able to look beyond this. And we want to all get past this two-year cycle. That's going to take some work. And that work begins next month. We're going to start working on it again next month because 
Um, we just have to. We have to be fo- more forward thinking. But at the same time, I think, um, you know, I think we have a really great opportunity to start to look um, at least immediately in the short term uh, innovatively and, and come up with some new ways to do some of the work we're doing, collaboration, you know, what is best practice for depression? What is the best practice for opioid dependency? And that's you know, and we did, I'm so glad you brought that up because we haven't gone into yep. that. You guys are, are on the front lines of, of that crisis Absolutely. as well. Absolutely. Right. And, and that, and, that and, is good. Yeah, and I mean, those are the major issues. You see stuff, we see things like depression or we see things like opioid dependency, some of these mental health issues that are out there and chemical dependency issues that are out there. And those are major issues. One of the things that a lot of uh, organizations are doing more and more of is the embedding of behavioral health people into the medical milieu. That's a fancy way of saying we have a psychologist or a clinical right. a clinical behavioral person working with the physicians. And if there's awesome. something going on for a patient, they can say, hey, why, Jim, why don't you go talk to, you know, clinical social worker, Sarah, you know, and... That works okay. out, and then I can talk to somebody, and I'm connected immediately. Well, James Platten of Open Cities Healthcare, I'm so glad that you did get your funding. Thank you so much for joining us and kind of uh, shedding some light on, on what you folks do. Again, it's Open Cities Health Centers. Uh, thank you so much. Esme, thank you so much for taking time. Thank you for your uh, your collaboration with us. It's been greatly appreciated by all of us. We right. really do appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank, well, you. thank you. Well, all, mm-hmm. all I've done is just... Tried to tell the story. So we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to News Radio 830 WCCO. And it's Esme Murphy. We just have a few seconds here before the top of the hour. Uh, do want to let you know coming up in the seven o'clock hour, special guest Maureen Bausch. She is the lady who is the CEO of the Super Bowl host committee. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. 